We wish to acknowledge the traditional caretakers of the land we record this podcast on, the Yuggera people and their continued connection to the land and waterways of Yuggera country. We pay our respects to Elders past, present and emerging and to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. Hi, I'm Libby Trickett. This is All That Glitters, a podcast where I sit down with the world's best retired athletes and explore the transition from the bright lights of competition to the real world. On today's show, I sit down with former Australian netballer Bianca Chatfield. Chatfield just wants to settle it down. Good leadership out there. Quick transition. They need quick goals. Oh, Chatfield. Chatfield with a telling turnover. Hello. How are you? I'm great. Thank you so much for your time today. Like it's such, like I know how busy you are and yeah, the fact that you've made some time. I'm very, very grateful. So thank you. Oh no, I love it. It's all very easy for me to do this stuff. Amazing. So I guess the place that I usually like to start is at the beginning, which is, you know, very random. Um, (laughs) How did you... How did you get into netball? Like, it, was it just something that you were watching growing up? Is it because you were tall and you're like, let's do netball? <laughs> well, I mean, yes, that's probably the most obvious <laughs> part is that being tall and, you know, what else do you do with your height if you're going <laughs> to use it as an asset? Mm. But probably if I take it way back and I probably didn't realise a lot of this until I um, was getting towards retiring from being an athlete was I was just, Grew up down in the Mornington Peninsula in Victoria and we would do any sport. My parents are very much about being active and my I've got two sisters and I'm in the middle and I was competitive and I wanted to beat them. And, uh, you know, whether it was netball, basketball, we had horses, we'd go horse riding. I thought gymnastics was probably going to be the thing I loved the most when I was Ooh, younger. <laughs> until not good when you're tall. <laughs> height was certainly not an asset. Um, but I think, yeah, when I reflect on why netball, one, my older sister played, so I watched it. I watched her play. It wasn't necessarily so visible um, on TV or in the media, but it actually was the one place I felt confident about being a tall girl. Um, Interesting. Like at school I would always, you know, you'd want to be so much like, you'd want to be like everyone else. You didn't want to stand out. You, you know, were always conscious that your body was very different to everybody else's mm. body and you couldn't share clothes with your friends and you know, and I always remember um, my parents always talking about, you know, your posture. It's, you know, be proud to be tall and stand up straight. And But, yeah, the reality of that is hard when everybody else around you is a lot shorter. So but- I just remember being on the court and going, oh, I just feel free. Like I feel like I can, you know, it's such an asset to be tall as yes. a netballer either end of the court. But everyone was like, oh, you can play, you're tall. And you're like, okay, I can. So, I just kind of learned to love it because it made me feel good, really. I felt that exact same thing, but with swimmers because swimmers have enormous shoulders and everywhere (laughs) you go, it's like, oh, you've got swimmer's shoulders. Oh, did you used to swim? And you're like, "Mm." but when you're amongst swimmers, you just feel normal, like you're part of them. When did you start to become conscious of the fact that your body was different to your peers? Well, definitely at school um, because, you know, in the typical school photos, you're always up the back with all the boys and, you know, it was never a question. You're never, ever going to be down the front of a school photo Mm. and it's those little things that make me laugh now but you're kind of always like, oh, where are all the other tall girls? Mm. Yeah, but I I don't think it was ever a big burden on me. I just remember it always being something that I would think about Mm. and I, I was lucky to have obviously both my parents are tall my sisters are tall so I was surrounded by other tall people 
but you know you also are surrounded by the conversation that's always about your height it's mm. always when oh you're so tall oh do you play sport rah, rah, rah. and you don't mind that now but it just took a long time I think when I was probably in secondary school and like your friends would start to wear heels and I'd be like oh am I allowed to wear heels can I wear heels because again that's another talking point about your height if you then put heels on and but that was also the time where you know sport I started to really enjoy playing and and started thinking maybe I could go a bit further and um, you know all my weekends were playing sports so it didn't necessarily distract me too much um, because I was doing something that I enjoyed. Well yeah and you you feel that sense of connection and kind of kinship with other people who look like you and you feel yes. like you're welcome <laughs> into that kind of group. What, what was the because I mean this is something that I find fascinating about athletes in general is like what is the thing that kind of made you competitive like why were you trying to beat your siblings and you know what kind of drove you in that elite sporting sense to go and then try and make netball your career one I think it's something um it, it's something to do, right? And that sounds really simplistic, but... <laughs> but it is. <laughs> yeah, it is something that, I, like my my sister, who's two years older, she was very much in the netball world far more than I was. She loved it. She was really competitive to try and go into the, every, you know, the next team and a rep team and a state team. And, and because I wasn't having to navigate any of that myself, I would just watch her do it. And mm. because I could see it and it was so visible to me, it was a lot easier then for me to go, oh, okay, well, that's the next step and that's how she did it, so that's how I'll do it. Mm. And, yeah, I, I don't know what made me competitive, but I remember, especially on weekends, I was either watching her play or why don't I just actually go and do it myself? And it was a bonus that you got to hang out with your friends and it was extra time that you just got to be around other people um, rather than, you know, when you're at school and that was the only time you tended to hang out with other people. So, it, yeah, it gave me a purpose, which probably back then I had no idea that was a bit of a purpose in my world. But, I yeah, I loved I loved being out there and I loved, you know, that whole when people tell you you're not good enough or... Mm. You know, you had to try and prove yourself. Um, I don't know. There was just that burning desire inside to be like, right, okay, I can do that, and I can show you. And and I don't. I sometimes find that comes with a bit of negativity. That that's what drives you so much. Because definitely towards the end of my career, or at stages, I probably had my blinkers on because I was too focused and too competitive and too. You know, I never stopped to just appreciate <laughs> what was happening. What? That doesn't sound like an elite athlete. Because <laughs> I was so like driven. And then it wasn't until the very end that I got to go, ah, oh, you know what? This is pretty cool. This is amazing. And um, yeah, so it's, I mean, a roller coaster, right? As I'm sure you <laughs> you know very well. And yeah. Um, um, yeah, I just, I've had to really tone down that competitiveness. That's something that I've had to really figure out what that looks like away from competing that's what I feel like I'm navigating still because it's you have nothing to channel it into anymore and it's like it's not really socially acceptable but to be super competitive (laughs) just in life like and then but like how do you because it you have this energy inside of you that just doesn't go anywhere and you're like oh that's a bit sad and that is the reaction, isn't it? You're like, oh, oh, like, you know, no one wants to play with me at this kind of <laughs> level, like like board games or, I mean, I don't even bother playing board games because I find it really just depressing that nobody really wants to just, you know, win. And yes. 
I, and and so now I just go, you know what? It's not worth my time. I don't want to. Work. I can't be bothered. With I that can't stuff. be bothered. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's like it, you go yeah. the other direction, right? Like yes. you just go. I don't even worry about it. I don't want to play. And I wish I could find that real happy meeting where people just play because it's fun and just have a good time, and you don't have to worry about winning. And yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Can you help me with that? Like, yeah, how have look, you figured that? <laughs> look, I'm 10 years down the track and I just still don't have any idea of how to channel that competitiveness, which is what, like, I find really interesting because, because as elite athletes, you do, you have, I don't, I, I and I don't, I, you like the fact that you're like, I don't really know what that is. I don't know what that is either. Like, I don't know. I just knew that I loved swimming and I knew that I loved sport and I loved trying to win. So it was like this combination. Yeah, it works. <laughs> yeah, it works. But then you got, you've got nothing to then channel it into and it becomes, yeah, very socially unacceptable to, yeah. you know, toss a table because you lose categories. Exactly. <laughs> and and I, you know, I mean, even like when you think about going into a, the gym, like you, there was always little targets. There was always, you know, always. fitness testing and constantly about, okay, you need to do this better. I mean, you never, ever got told, oh, you're great. You're perfect. You don't need to work on anything like that. It's just not, it doesn't happen. <laughs> there was always something to reach for mm. and in, in all parts of athlete life. So that's also, you know, even once, once I did retire and I like keeping fixed, I know it makes me feel good and it's good for my mental health just to be active, but I really found that hard too, to go from working out so intensely to be an athlete, to then being able to go, just going for a walk is okay. Like, you yes. know, you don't need to slog your body and hurt your body every time that you're going out there to train. And, and that's something that I find really interesting as well, because I want to have a goal that I'm like working out towards, because that's what I did my entire, you know, most of my entire life. But then I'm like, well, what's... Who, who really cares? Like It's almost like we need to be deconditioned, don't we, when yes. we come out of our sports, um, deconditioned to this is what is acceptable when you're not an athlete and that's okay. And like, it's I mean, amazing. Like, yeah, retraining your brain to be okay. Because a lot of the probably behaviours and the way we push ourselves so much and, and kudos to you because I feel like individual athletes really have it very more like far more intensely than team sport athletes mm. because I don't know why but I just feel like we've 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 got this leveler with each other in a team and that you're constantly around and um, whereas I feel for individual <laughs> athletes who are just really on their own we crazy you know, that, yeah <laughs> your, your training partners are people that you compete with on you know when you are at major events and, mm. and that blows my mind how that works uh, in your sport well from my perspective i i played netball in grade 6 and <laughs> i was very annoyed because i wasn't put in as center uh. i was like the shortest on the team anyway and i got put into wing attack and i was like i want to go everywhere on the court and i don't understand why i can't also shoot the ball <laughs> and i also used to yell at people for dropping the ball <laughs> So they're like, okay, we're, you're best in the pool thing. Yeah, you're best to just be by yourself, swim up and down the pool so you can't yell at anybody. <laughs> how, how did you find working within a team? Because I think it, it, there is there is a quite um, – there's obviously like a, a difference from being an individual athlete to being a team athlete. So how did you find working within a team? Is that something that felt comfortable for you? Well, I think when I look at it from like, say, in the Aussie team, for example, I was never one of those athletes that was, you know, so gifted, the the best on the team. Like that was never me. I was 
like the one that really had to grind it out and work hard to get into the team. And so I really relied a lot on my teammates because when I was having or struggling out there on court, I knew that certain combinations and certain players could help lift me out of that and get me back to my best and feeling good while I was out there. And on the flip side too, that if I was in a position where I was playing well, I really liked it being inclusive. Like I wanted it to work with everybody out there. I was, yeah, I was never the champion player that was in the starting seven every test match that would just go out there and dominate. And so I think I really appreciated all my teammates around me because they they helped me play better and they helped me get into a lot of those teams because mm. I was part of combinations that worked well. So I needed that team. I, I'm not sure. I feel like my uh, probably... Uh, as a defender in netball, you know, the game is a, an attacker's game, that's for sure. So I probably would have had a lot more anger issues had I been out there on my own without people to just calm me down and be like, it's okay, the next it's one, just fine. get the next one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just chill All out. Flags going off in my head, just go, okay. So so it's a very, it's a big leveler mm. having um, your teammates there. One, they pump you up when you need it. They also help, you know, laugh and mock you when you need that too and, <laughs> and bring you back down to earth sometimes. I find that interesting that you say that you kind of weren't necessarily the best on the team and you really had to grind to make that Australian level, you know, the the diamonds and, and to be part of that team. But you had, is it like 59 appearances for Australia? Like for someone who wasn't the like, that's amazing. Yeah, and and I think it's just me and how I critique myself. Mm. But um, yeah, because I, I probably you only get a test cap for the Australian netball team is when you step out onto court and play in a game. So we'll have twelve in the team, seven on court. So there's been many many test matches where I was on the bench for a long time when I was younger. So you know, you don't, you're not adding up any test caps to your name. So the 59 were actually the 59 times I stepped out onto, onto the court. court. Yeah. But I was a part of the team for a lot longer than that. And that was just all part of my learnings and like, you know, the mental and physical roller coaster of being in the Aussie team. So yeah, I, I think because, you know, if the fairy tale is to be that great player that wins everything and that, you know, you're always out on court and that's what we probably well, that's what I would always probably see as being the pinnacle and being able to be that champion. Mm. But instead now I look at it and just being a part of those teams and um, especially a lot of the Melbourne premiership teams that I was a part of, that connection with the people means mm. far more to me now than, you know, the the tick or the gold medal or the premiership that you go, yep, okay, we achieved that. It's now those moments in time with the people that you're around you that you go, ah, oh, that was what it actually was all about. Is that is that just the perspective that you've gotten since retiring? Oh, uh, I think I I got dropped halfway through my Aussie career, and that moment in time was a very much a spot where I I could have I think I was twenty eight and I could have walked away. I I'd gone to World Champs, I'd gone to a Com Games, and they're the two big things in netball. I'd won premierships, and I thought, you know what? Do I need to have all this extra stress in my life? Mm. But it was probably the time I realised that my whole life was netball. It was. I was so consumed by it. I'd never had a break. I'd never been forced to have a break. I just mm. kept going and going and going. And it wasn't healthy. And I really needed to just step out and have some reflection time and to figure out why I loved playing. And so it took about probably six to 12 months of, um, like I was still playing, but not um, with the Aussie team. And, um, yeah, you know, you go through the 
the hard times of watching the team that you missed out on and, you know, them playing well and wondering if you want to ever get back into that because you know what comes with it once you're in it. And then I, um, so I was 28 and I retired at 33 and I flipped it around and thought, no, I want to have another crack at it and was really being able to play in my Melbourne side with the Melbourne Vixens and Melbourne Phoenix that it was like this this like second family that I was a part of. And I was now the older athlete, the captain of the team. And I don't know, I really love being around the young people that were coming through all the young players and their energy. And there was just something about that, that really simplified why we're there, you know, the stuff that they were worrying about compared to me with all this heavy burden on me. Mm. And I was like, Oh, how, how freeing to just play when you're not even thinking about any of the other stuff other than to just get on the court and get the ball. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I loved it. I loved being immature and hanging out with them. You know, the, the girls that were 10 years younger than me. And so I kind of, it took a little while, but after about 12 months, you know, got myself back playing well, you know, played more goal defense than I did goalkeeper. And, and then I, again, it, oh, I don't know how it works out. Then back in the Aussie team and then mm. back playing so much better than I was before. And, just, yeah, perspective was a huge thing, but I didn't have space. I didn't ever think about I needed the space to um, take the time to kind of probably reassess it all. Mm. So it was a forced break, but now, again, hindsight, you're like, oh, I needed that. I needed someone to probably shut it all down for me to go, okay, Bianca, what are you really going to do? I always find that so interesting because it's like the universe tells you that. Yes. Like, gets It pushes you in the direction that you kind of need to go, whether you want to or not. You might be kicking and screaming at the time. Yep. But then you go, oh, okay, that's that's what that was meant to teach me. And then you end up playing some of your best yes. netball. It's amazing. Yeah. And when it's not about you, that's probably my biggest takeout too, is that when actually you've not focused on yourself and you're actually out there playing a team game with your teammates but but being able to actually enjoy the little moments of silliness and and not kind of overlooking that because you're so serious and you're so you know on task and and also your body's getting older so you've got to spend more time off the court not training because you've got to be able to get out there on court and do it and feel okay yeah so I yeah I really do appreciate all of that now and you know and even all the little warning signs that you probably had in the lead up that you just ignore because you're so again single focused and I had glandular fever I think a couple of years before I was dropped from the Aussie team and again I just kept going through going yeah I'll be right I don't need to worry about that I'll keep moving forward and I was just unhealthy physically mm. and mentally and yeah you just have to stop and it sounds it sounds like it's part of your personality is to grind mm. and just continue yes. grinding until you can't <laughs> anymore yes, yes. do you, yes. do you feel like you're better at recognizing when your body needs rest now i think i am a complete different person mm. than the old me and and I mean, like still definitely like your injuries, you've got to manage now and um, make sure that you are not doing too much. But then if you do nothing, then you, of course you're sore as well. So <laughs> all yes. the arthritis kicks in. So yes, <laughs> that's other stuff you realise uh, once you finish. But I think it's being able to enjoy that, that slower pace and not always having to achieve. So, you know, it is, it's going for a walk and and I had a, I had a little girl about eight months ago and um, it's, she's, she's a great, like it's just having those boundaries too for me now. You don't have the time to just 
go to the gym mm. and just do that when you want to do that. But it's being able to go, okay, well, I can go for a walk and I can, you know, hang out with my little girl and walk the pram or previous to having her going for a walk during COVID in Melbourne when we we're in lockdown for so long, mm. it was just meeting up with one of my great mates and we just go for a walk every morning. That was our non-negotiable. Go for a walk and just chat and, you know, put your phone down and, and that was enough. And mm. my body felt good doing that. So I think you gradually start to learn that, oh, if I'm actually feeling good, it doesn't really matter anything else. It's just channeling that. But isn't that so funny that, well, I and I to be honest, I think this is across society, but most people don't look at going for a walk as exercise. They're like, oh, that's mm. just you're being lazy, like go for a run or go for a jog or go do a hit class at the gym or something like that. And it's like, no, actually movement in it, whatever form that takes, fresh air and sunshine is actually what we all really need. Yeah. And, and, and also having that time, like just do it, just get out. And even now, if it's raining, you're like, just get outside and yes, it's annoying, but you'll feel better when you get home. Always. Yeah, COVID was, I mean, Melbourne was horrendous during COVID, but it was actually really good to to strip everything right back and have to, you know, build your own day yourself because you didn't have anything else to do and you had to somehow manage yourself. So it was that kind of, okay, what's my going to be my routine and how can I give myself some structure to, yeah, allow myself to actually try and feel good in a world that seems to be falling apart. That's actually a really interesting thing because that's a theme that I get from a lot of athletes is that you no longer have structure, you no longer have routine Mm. when you retire from sport. Obviously, you experienced that through COVID, but did you have that sense when you first retired from netball? I was, I was, when I retired, my, I was ready. My body was sore. I, you know, I could barely play full games anymore. So I was fortunate. It wasn't, you know, like a, the most amazing ending, but I was ready to go and I was excited about other opportunities and I was Mm. excited about being able to, you know, I'd done bits and pieces of work in different worlds and I love that. And, and so I was ready. So when I finished, I, I had actually a former AFL player had said to me, when you retire, your first year out is going to be manic. You'll have everyone coming to you because now you can actually give them your time. You can actually do the things. Yep. You can actually do all the things, whatever they might be. And you'll say yes to everything and then the second year you'll be exhausted and then you'll hit a, hit a real flat spot. <laughs> and it was exactly what happened. I was like, yes, 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 I can do that, I can do that, I can do that. And, of course, I was so busy and it was a lot. And then the second year I really stopped and that's when I started to be like, whoa, all right, uh, <laughs> um, what do I do now? And I, and, and I, I was trying to find and match that adrenaline rush I think you get from sport and, and probably commentary and media is probably the one like working on a live netball game that's the one place I've probably felt that you feel that same adrenaline rush similar anyway of you know being live and it's you know pardon the pun but sink or swim you either do good and get more work or you are terrible and they go okay thanks for that (laughs) okay thanks for that bye (laughs) (laughs) but the pressure of it being live as well and Mm. yeah so I think that kind of gave me a little bit of that yeah, but I, I, I was probably fortunate in that, I mean, this is random, but one thing I always wanted to do was go on the block and I love renovating. Yes. Yes. And so 
that coincided two years after I had finished. And so then that was a complete exit of the sporting world and entry into a different world. And that was really refreshing um, as well. So did you, obviously, you had thought about going on the blog yes was it because like and I'm don't please don't take this the wrong way but <laughs> I know that from my experiences with doing like reality tv shows and stuff like it's partly like yes you want to do it but partly like maybe I'll get some other work opportunities from <laughs> that as well um did you feel like that was part of it or did you just want to experience the block to be honest, I'm just a bit of a nerd when it comes to that show. And I, my dad's a builder. So I, ha- I had grown up just, he was you know very much about, let's try and buy an apartment. As soon as you can afford it, let's try and buy an apartment. And then like I would, you know, paint it and renovate it. And I just watched the show all the time and think, can't be that hard, can it? And <laughs> it can't be that watch, hard. Yeah, surely they can do it. I could do it's it. It's all and, edited. <laughs> yes. And I thought all of that. And and I had said somewhere along the line in just, you know, you do all these random interviews and I'm like, oh, yeah, when I retire, I want to go on the block. And I had said that a few times and everyone just started mocking me like as if Bianca. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but even so then, but I, with one of my good friends, I started to apply for the show and this was just before I had retired. And so it took us three years to actually get on it. Wow. So I was like so committed. Yes. <laughs> I want to do this. I want to do That this. is commitment. And the enticement mainly was one I want to again probably the competitiveness I want to see if I can do this yes but two was that I mean who can afford to buy houses and renovate all the time like it's actually a ridiculous thing to have as a hobby yes um but to be able to do it on channel nine's money and to be able to you know (laughs) amazing do it all like I was like this sounds like like a no-brainer if I can try and get on it so um yes that's how it all came apart about but it was kind of before all these past athletes and everyone was going on reality TV for other things. So, yeah. I what year was that? So 2018. That was 2018. So um, what was that experience like? Because it from the outside looking in, it looks hectic. Was yeah. it hectic? <laughs> it was hectic. Yeah. It was honestly, and I know athlete life goes over a long period of time, but the build is so 13, 14 weeks. And honestly, that's the hardest 13, 14 weeks because – it's not about, you know, you don't have your doctor and your support staff and your massive therapist and your nutritionist making sure you're eating the right things so that you perform well. Like mm. it's just like off you go. You've got to do it. And, you know, you don't stop to eat. You're literally eating on the run. And um, and I know that sounds like not a big deal, but you actually you lose so much weight because you're working so hard and you just have no time and mm. no the no sleep is real and and probably out of all the reality shows, I mean, I've not done any others, but from the behind the scenes, it's very much, it is exactly how it comes across. Monday you start, Sunday night is judging. And so it is actually real. Yes, things are exaggerated because yeah. it is a TV show, but it's and actually. And edited in different ways to like yeah, create controversy. Yeah, but there was nothing, I was more paranoid that it was going to be edited differently, but it, but it is, it is what you say and it is what you do. And so, yeah, I, um, I loved it. I felt uh, it was great to be able to do it. And it's the block's a bit like a little family once you're in it and have been a part of it. But yeah, yeah, I just did it because I was a fan of the show and they made me work hard to even get on it. It took us years to get on it. Yeah. Because you're the person you went on with was Carla. So I did Carla, who's a good friend of mine, former teammate. Yeah. And we first applied, I think 2014, actually, because I was, I remember getting a, 
the casting director, I was still playing, but knew I was getting to, close to retiring. And um, the casting director had emailed me and I was in the Com Games village in Glasgow. Wow. And I was getting these emails and I wasn't telling anyone because I was like, oh, and it was the first callback that we had. And I was like, oh, sorry, I can't, um, I'm not in Melbourne. We can't be there for an interview because, you know, I'm at the Commonwealth Games. FYI. And they're like, <laughs> yeah, and I'm like, so can you just wait till we get home? And they're like, no, sorry, see you later. And you're like, damn it, like, no. they, don't, they don't even wait for us. <laughs> but that's also what I love about the show mm. is that it is about real people. It's not necessarily because you've been an athlete that that's an advantage to you. What I loved about watching you and Carla, though, is that because you have that athlete mindset, like you just got stuck in. Like there was just, <laughs> you just did it. Like it was like really intense. And, you know, some of sometimes you see some of the women or some of the men just really whinge and complain and you guys just head down, yeah. bum up and just got into it. I know. And I, and, but I love we could showcase that too, that yes. you're just like, we just want to work hard. Like we don't yeah. care about the drama. We don't care about, yes. we're not going to, we're not going to break down in tears if, stuff goes wrong but then you realize like a solution-based approach that we've learned so well doesn't necessarily go well with reality tv because they're like come on guys like you know we want some kind of reaction we're just like how can we fix it what can we do better yeah. and they're like oh boring <laughs> see whereas i love that i was like yes just get it done ladies <laughs> so yeah i did i did love that the fact that i knew we could push ourselves but then when you turn it on the other side and go what how do they make a TV show? You know, that's not always what they want. <laughs> yeah, so true, so true. So when you finished up and obviously you'd done the block and done all of those things, did you know that you wanted to get into commentary and, and the media? Was that something that you were kind of aiming for post-sport? Not intentionally. Um, so when I was playing, I mean, you would have been similar. It's very much like, oh, female athletes, you can't possibly make a living out of your sport. You need to have do all this other stuff just as your backup plan. And so I did a teaching degree at uni. Um, I finished that. I taught part-time for a couple of years as a PE science teacher. And that was okay. It fitted in well in and around training. Um, but I knew teaching as such wasn't necessarily my goal. Mm. Um, but I really loved the education side and so, yeah, I, I, I've worked in all different things, but working in the leadership space and running workshops, whether it with young people or um, in the corporate space, like a lot of those learnings from doing a teaching degree really help with that. Um, mm. But I, I've really just wanted to probably be able to go out there and, and take up opportunities that are more project-based than locking myself into one job. So I love that the commentary is, you know, the netball season. And then yes. I spend time doing more stuff in the leadership space or I've got a netball academy and everyone's like, oh, you're, you're so busy. But it honestly is moments in time in my year rather than it all happening at once. And that's what I really enjoy being able to just have this kind of free flowing schedule that stresses a lot of people out but for me it actually works. <laughs> it's so it's so funny that you describe your life like that because that's that's me. Like that is exactly me. It It's funny because you spend so long of your life being so focused and committed to like one thing. I, I became a massive commitment phobe. Like I hated like the idea yes. of working nine to five in an office and like like it makes me feel suffocated. And, and, and I'm I the same. The same feeling. Right? And, and it's yes. so funny because like people look at 
obviously you and they they look at me and all the random things that I'm doing and I'm like but this feels right like it all feels connected feels fun and flowy and it just works at the moment at the moment not all the time but yeah it's funny that you described it like that because I just resonate so hard yeah and even when you're like cringing going oh nine to five that for me it feels so restricting but but I understand that works because my partner, Mark, he, if he looks at my life and it just like really stresses him out, yes. the fact that I don't know what I'm doing, you know, in three or four months time, potentially, whereas he's, you know, nine to five locked in his hours, he's got his roster and, and that works for him. And I know that works for me. And we just find our balance yeah. of how we can make it work together. But I am, I'm glad that I found that about myself or understood that about myself, that I didn't try and force myself to just lock away quickly a full-time job because mm. I don't think I would have coped very well at all finishing being an athlete and going straight into something like that. I did not cope well. So you, you, <laughs> you were very um, self-aware to be able to recognise <gasps> that in yourself immediately. It's a, it's a good no, skill. Let's do reality TV. Let's do it. Like, and not everything works. And certainly Instagram shows a very different side, doesn't it, of what we do. Because, like, you know, I'm not posting when I'm having, when I'm sitting at home doing absolutely nothing. Yes. I'm really only posting when I'm out doing some fun stuff. So, yes. It's so true. And it's the highlight reel, right? And that's totally. what social media is. And, and that's totally fine and perfect. But it is great to be able to say, also, I sit at home some days and don't do anything. Yep. And I love that. At the moment now with my little girl, Kaya, I just, when we can just have a day at home, I'm like, ah, yes, this is the best. How have you found that transition into motherhood? Because that's, as female athletes, that there's the transition into retirement. And Mm. then there's also another massive transition called parenthood. How do you, how how have you found that? (laughs) Well, it's been interesting. And I think the dynamic that not that I, I had a lot of people going, oh, wait till you have a baby. Like then things are going to really change. And I, I mean, you don't know until you. <laughs> then it'll be a real it. shit show. <laughs> Good yes, luck. that's right. And everyone's like, oh, go wait, just you wait. Just you and wait. I felt like every, everybody was just like, haha, now you can suffer too. Like, that's what I felt <laughs> like everyone was saying to me. So, you know, once, once I, I had a pretty, um, like good pregnancy and everything sort of went to plan. Um, but it was just the relentlessness of that first three months of, and I mean, we're only eight months in, so I, mm. I'm well aware that I have no idea what's ahead of us. Wait till you um, get to the the um, terrible twos and then the three ages and the terrible fours. <laughs> we're just getting to crawling at the moment and that's a lot. <laughs> that's, that's enough. <laughs> but, but I probably, I think one thing that we, Mark and I both look back on now was that first three months, Yes, it was relentless for me with the up all night feeding, mm. all of that. But it was it was us managing it together mm. as a couple and seeing what, you know, Mark is sitting there at night going, I don't know, I don't know what to do and I don't know how to help you and him feeling so helpless yeah. and us just sitting there going, how can we make this work better than what it is? Because, you know, there's no point both of us being exhausted and, I don't know, Do I, we must have the hormones that help us just get up because we have to and the baby needs us. Mm. And that was, that was a real adjustment, but I'm just really, uh, it, you know, we just spoke about it a lot and I really appreciate that he loves to talk about things like this too and that he was so open about like, you know, I'm struggling, I don't know what to do and I don't know how to help you. Mm. And um, 
yes, it was great that we could have those conversations because even though we didn't really know the answer, we just kind of came to this point of, all right, Mark, you look after me and I'll look after the baby. Yes. And if we can do that, then we'll get through this. And oh, I love that. Yeah. And, and I don't even know how we came up with it, but, you know, that became such a blessing, just even being able to articulate how to navigate it and mm. more for Mark than probably for me. But the fact that I didn't have, like he, every night I would, we would go to bed and next to the feeding chair, he would have my drink bottle filled up and a banana on the side of the table and just things like that. Cause he loves being organized and he loves having the plan in place. And so the fact that he could do that and I could just, you know, I just was appreciating so much of how much he, all the little things he could do to then help me in the moment of time that I didn't really know what was going on either. Mm. So yeah, it was intense um, the first three months, but. For all the male listeners, that is a, great piece of advice like or all the sorry all the support partners in that situation yeah, yeah. that is such a beautiful piece of advice because I think that's something that I really struggled with in that first you know six 12 months post my first baby and because I was that individual athlete mentality which is like I will just do it myself and my husband was also is also a you know former swimmer he didn't know how to articulate, you know, what do I need? How can mm. I help you? And But he was obviously feeling all those feelings that your your husband was experiencing. And it's like you can only do what you can do, which is support mm. you through this really uh, transformational time mm. in your mm. life because you can, you can see who you were, you can see your old life, but you're no longer that person, but you're also that person, but now you have this responsibility and you're trying to navigate sleep deprivation, your changes in your body, your changes in your hormones, while also trying to sustain a life. It's a yes. lot. And I'm, do you know what, Libby? I listened to you speak about what you went through and I listened to so many people's birth stories, but it was always the other athletes that I really resonated mm. with to know because, and maybe it is because I'm a little bit older when I had, you know, a baby. So, you know, you, you're a bit more probably wiser. So I went searching while I was pregnant for different things that I could listen to, to try and think, okay, how can I try and navigate this and relate to other people who are like me? Mm. And like, I, just for you being so honest, oh. I think that's so helpful to so many people. Thank and you. All my teammates, like all my teammates that have had kids, I was blown away by just because they knew they were like bringing over food. They were like, okay, you need this, worry about this. Like as, you know, all the, all the stuff you don't know about, they, it was always my teammates that would be my closest friends in, this, in the moment. And, and they're, I don't know about you, but they're, for me, they're still my closest friends because we have this connection beyond just being mates. Like we've been through so much together. We've mm. all retired now, but I had then felt like I had to apologize to everyone because when you were all having babies, I, I was like, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I should have been doing the dishes. I should be bringing over food, not coming over and just like, like, oh, where's the baby? Yeah. <laughs> I was like that with my sister-in-law. I, exactly. With Georgie, I was like, I'm so sorry. I've never done any of that for you. <laughs> And you're just here helping, making things, like just taking the baby, folding folding laundry. Like she would just oh come God. over and just fold. I'm like, what are you doing? I was such a pest. And oh, I was like, terrible. I apologise, everybody. Yeah, I was like, just give me the baby. I'll hold the baby. But don't yeah, go to sleep because I want to talk to you. I want to see how you're going also. 
And I and I'm like a sucker for all the gory details. I'm like, tell me everything tell about me your everything. labor. Like, not even thinking how traumatic that could be for yes. people. And I'm like, tell me everything. And I'm like, oh, Bianca, no. no. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Um, there are two questions that I well, actually, I'm going to ask you three because I have a daughter who is right into netball, and I don't get it because I was not <laughs> not that I don't get it. I love netball, great sport. I don't understand how to support a potential netballer in the future. Okay, okay. Like, I get really overwhelmed on Saturday mornings going to watch netball. (laughs) There are kids everywhere. There are parents everywhere. What is your biggest piece of advice for little netballers out there who are kind of dreaming, hoping, wishing to play, you know, for for one of the teams or, or for Australia eventually? Oh, that is that is just a, a little really, question. It's <laughs> a really big question, isn't it? And I'm sure you, people ask you all the time that about young swimmers coming through. I think one of the most toxic traits that I probably got into, and not necessarily when I was a kid, but I was always, again, look comparing myself to other people, comparing myself to other kids that played this other positions or the same positions, and. I just wish I hadn't spent so much time necessarily looking at other people and rather just gone, okay, today I'm playing centre. I'm just going to play centre. Mm. I'm not going to worry about what who's playing goal attack or who's playing goal defence. And so especially for young kids, I very much grew up as a goal shooter, goal attack because I was tall and that's where all the tall girls go on the court. I had a coach when I was 15 who changed me and said you know what we need a tall defender to play on all these tall shooters and that really changed the trajectory of my career because I was competing against far less tall defenders than what they were tall shooters Mm. so to simplify it all I think for any young girl or young boy out there playing netball just have a go at different positions if your coach tells you to have a crack at playing goalkeeper or wing defense and you think it's the most boring position try and find the fun in that because there is you don't like there's so much more people see in you than the position that you're actually playing or that you want to play so Mm. I feel like it was a big blessing for me to actually get turned into a defender and then opened up so many other avenues I didn't realize so I wish now when as an older athlete you know when I was still playing that we could go and play center and muck around and play different positions so just embrace the variety when you're young don't feel like you have to just play one way and the only way. So don't be like a little Libby who's only like center is everything. <laughs> That's right, Libby. That's exactly right. That's why I, was, I wasn't successful. <laughs> yeah. When I was told to go play goalkeeper, I was like, oh, the most boring position on the court. I don't mm. want to have to play there. But it kind of worked out because, you know, I didn't see, I didn't realise that what I was good at actually suited that end of the court better. But that's also what I think is so fascinating is that a lot of people only focus on those attacking positions, whatever game you're playing. And it's like you can't have a great team, you can't have a successful team unless every single position is doing their job to the best of their ability. That's right. And defence was always, you know, everything's against you, the umpires are against you. But it became about flipping the script and going, well, I'm a competitor and mm. if I can do one thing that could change this game, yes. then I had to spend all game trying to do that one thing, whereas attackers have got to do multiple things and score goals and they've constantly got the ball in their hand. But I, I almost like that your back's against the wall as a defender. So it's it's reframing it, I think, especially as coaches to young kids, reframing it, making it exciting to be a defender, not always 
the position that's a burden on everybody. Yeah, exactly right. I think that's such a beautiful way of looking at things and like different to what people expect, you know, mostly it's like, just enjoy yourself. And it's like, well, yeah, enjoy yourself. Obviously love what you do and that's incredibly important, but also look at all of the opportunities that are within different teams and different positions. Because you can't really just tell people, go have fun out there. Because, I mean, you hope that's what happens, they're having fun. But I don't know how you just make it fun by doing, clicking your fingers and stepping out on court. Like it's, yeah, I feel like you've got to find something that people can go, yes, I'm going to put on that different bib and actually try and find something I love about it. Yeah, I love that. Um, I, I really love to ask everyone that comes on the show what their moment that they're most proud of from their sporting career and so you know obviously you've won gold medals you've won premierships you've done everything that you could do kind of in in your sport and it might be that it might it might be that um experience but often there are moments as athletes that are much more kind of quiet or behind the scenes where you just go Mm -hmm. wow I'm so proud of that moment for me um like I have listened to your podcast, so I knew this question was coming. Um, but I, yeah, I think it is. You, when you strip it right back, for me, the moment I'm most proud of is what I believe when I got into the final years of, of being a player. I had a lot of older players around me that were very much fighting the fight, trying to make conditions better for female athletes. They showed me that it doesn't, it takes more than just what you do on court. If we want to change the sport, leave it in a better place than what you found it, it takes a lot of hard work. And so probably what I'm most proud of is just my connection and involvement in sometimes some of the really hard conversations, the players association stuff, the 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 really the nitty-gritty conversations you had to have um, with everybody and the relationships you had to build with everybody in the sport to try and make sure that we were moving it forward so that it wasn't necessarily of my benefit, but the next players coming could enjoy a game with more money, more resources around them, more of a high-performance environment. And and I feel like I did as much as I could to the point where that got so exhausting. Mm. But, yeah, my last kind of final years and just being able to pass that down to the next group and feel like I've left the sport in a better place. Mm. And I not just me there's many other girls and people around us that helped but that was a huge growth and I learned so much that has helped me in business and everything else post playing because of getting involved in that stuff that's more than just what athletes usually have to do and it's given me a just a really beautiful connection with a lot of the younger players now who are now getting to become the older players and just that support and that network that we have with each other I think it's really it's really sacred and it's this inner sanctum stuff that is like, you know what, we've always got your back and sisters in arms and it's been in the media lately, just mm. um, the netball community and what's been happening. But sisters in arms is our thing as the diamonds and I I feel like I truly did live that. Yeah, I mean, that's an unbelievable legacy to to give to your sport and, and it, it, you realise that sport, you know, in general as an umbrella thing in Australia is so much more than just the performance. It, it is about those connections. It is about those relationships. It's about those moments where, yes, maybe you're fighting for each other on the court, but then off the court you're also fighting for better playing circumstances. And I think 
I mean, it, it's a testament to to you and all of your teammates who have been able to do that because I think although netball has been in the, the media a lot recently. <laughs> that for to lots the of, side? <laughs> yeah, just placing that to the side. I think it's, you know, it continues to grow as a sport and it continues to inspire the new generations. And as a mother of three young girls, like that to have role models like yourself and Danelle Wallum and all of the entire, you know, Diamond squad – and, you know, everyone else who, who is also playing around Australia, like that, you guys are role models and that is such a beautiful thing for my girls to look up to. Mm, yeah, that's lovely. And it's, yeah, and, and it does take sometimes that really just the extra effort that's not just about being an athlete. And I think a lot of people who, you know, and, and you don't know unless you're in it, but when you're outside of sport, you probably don't realise how much athletes are doing other than just training. Like yes. there's so much more that goes on to it. And for female athletes, I love seeing now that female and you know, females playing sport is just normal and there's so much choice for every young girl now so and what cool. they want to play. Like it's so amazing to see and I hope that just continues to grow. But also it, it is interesting to me that, that that is something that you focused on in the last years of, of your career and you said that that was some of your best playing years as well. <laughs> exactly. And, you know, again, imagine if you knew all of this at the time. You're like, right? <laughs> actually, it's not necessarily about me playing anymore. I, I can play. I can do that. And sometimes the calmest time in your life is when you're actually out on court. Oh, and right. No, so simple. So, I mean, <laughs> it, like when you're in the pool and you just head down and swim, you're like, that's all I have to do. I can control so much of this right so now. So much. <laughs> and, it, and then, again, I just would have loved to have been able to feel like that so much more. Um, but it takes to a point to get there. And, mm. yes. And it's that perspective, so right? Isn't it? Oh, my gosh. Absolutely. Um, so my final question is what advice would you have for young athletes or not young athletes, older athletes who might be looking at retirement maybe in a couple of years or are on that precipice of making that decision? Uh, I think just, and I've heard other people say this around, definitely support network is critical. And I don't mean the people that are always going to be your best friend and tell you what you want to hear and positive pollies of the world, but just people that have your back and people that can help you and support you and you can be vulnerable with and that, you know, you are able to tell them what you want to do or when you want to finish and know that it's going to stay with them and just, you know, throughout the, your career and towards the end of your career, build that really beautiful trusting support network around you. Yeah. And for me, it was always better outside of this, my sport, but people that understood sport and, yeah, and, and and probably second to that, because support network is crucial, whenever you are at anything, just talk to people. Go and yes. find out what people do and, like, plant different seeds in your own mind about maybe it isn't going into media or maybe it isn't going into teaching is your next step, but go and talk to people because the world is full of incredible people who do incredible things that have yes. nothing to do with sport and it's like your own little work experience. As athletes, we go to so many functions and don't we? And we're always having to talk to so many people, but actually talk to them and listen to what people do because that really sparked different things in my mind around, oh, this person does this or this person's, mm. you know, a freelancer working in this space. Oh, maybe I could do that. And it just opened up my world to so many different things because of having simple conversations. That's unbelievable advice because it's, it's so true because when you're in that athlete bubble, 
you only have the <laughs> what is around you. So you see, oh, coaches, you see media, you see yes. maybe sports administration, but then you start to go to further afield and you start to see different networking opportunities and you start to talk to people. Oh, and there's like, there's jobs that don't exist now that will exist in, you know, two, three, four, five years time. And especially in the lead up to the Olympics with, you know, Brisbane hosting, like there's going to be so many, I mean, yes, sports related opportunities, but just across the board, it's really exciting. And yeah, such good advice just to absorb different jobs. It's exciting. Yes. And and so many, I feel a lot of conversations, especially when you're an athlete and you would have had this far more than we did, but people just want to talk to you yes. when you're at these things, but actually then, you know, returning the questions and finding out whoever's talking to you, what they're doing. And, yeah. you know, that to me was a really interesting part of the conversation was like, yes, I'm doing something that looks great here, but so many people are doing great things that you can't see. They're all undercover and they're not on Instagram. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. They're not on Instagram. So how can you see it? (laughs) Yeah. So how can you possibly see that? But then you're like, oh, wow. And you know, I'm in Victoria. So in Melbourne, it's just, you're always reconnecting with these people in different ways because of simple conversations that you've had um, over your time as an athlete. Bianca, that was absolutely brilliant. I can't thank you enough for, for your time. And I just resonated so much with with your perspective on transition and, and motherhood and all of those things. It's, yeah, really, it's so wonderful to chat to you. So thank you. Oh, so wonderful. I'm a big fan, Libby, oh! I tell you. I'm a massive fan. <laughs> I grew up just watching swimming. I would hardly ever watch netball off TV, but I'd always watch you all swim. Oh, thank you. So I would, yes, very inspirational you oh. had an amazing career and you're doing amazing things now. Thank you. That means <laughs> thank you. <laughs> oh, it's so good. Love it. Gosh, there were so many moments in that conversation where I was like, yes, that's exactly how I feel, especially around being a commitment folk. That was something that really penetrated my soul when she was talking about kind of looking at her her schedule and you know she's created something that works for her and that may not work for everybody but she has that insight and that self-awareness into building a life that kind of is working for her and her family at this point in time if you guys are interested I have also got another podcast which I uh, started with my sister-in-law Georgie Uh, it is called the sports social and every week we talk about the joy humanity and heartbreak in the past week of sport it's a bit of fun look we're a little loose around facts but that's okay we have a lot of fun chatting sport and I think you will really like it so make sure you check that out at the sports social podcast is us on Instagram if you want to get in touch around someone you want me to interview for All That Glitters, head to at All That Glitters Pod. Otherwise, have a great couple of weeks. See you soon.